This episode of Let's Talk About Chef is being brought to you by Vincero Watches. Vincero makes super high quality and beautiful watches, and by cutting out the middleman and selling them directly to you from their website, they are saving all of us a lot of money. Listeners of this podcast can use the promo code CHEF, that's C-H-E-F, at checkout on their purchase of a Vincero watch at vincerowatches.com. Remember, to get 20% off your entire purchase, use the promo code CHEF at checkout. Before we get started on this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef, I wanted to say that if you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com, or you can follow me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. I do take the time to read and write to everyone. I also wanted to say that Let's Talk About Chef is being listened to all around the world and has grown into something I never thought possible, and that is all thanks to listeners like you telling people about the show and sharing it with friends. We are available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Spotify, and pretty much everywhere else that you can listen to podcasts. Also, just a heads up, this story today is one that involves some upsetting descriptions of violence. If you aren't in the mood or you have kids around, you may want to wait to listen. That's enough from me. Let's get right into this week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef. Chocolate is a $103 billion a year industry. We love chocolate, and we eat a lot of it. With Valentine's Day just passed and the Easter Bunny about to break into our homes and leave behind foil-wrapped eggs that somehow celebrate the crucifixion and also resurrection of Jesus, chocolate is about to be everywhere. It's used to celebrate pretty much every holiday— And just like Easter, Halloween became chocolate-centric at some point, and the candy companies reap in boatloads of money every month, giving the world the candy that we crave. In restaurants all across civilized and modern world, we chefs and pastry chefs put chocolate onto our menus because it's a no-brainer. It's an easy sell. It's like putting fish in a barrel. We order chocolate and turn it into cakes, ganaches, and sauces— In North America alone, every single person eats on average 11 pounds of chocolate every single year. Like all things that we talk about on this show, I'm sure that you would be happy to know that there is not a horrible and upsetting dark underbelly that is just out of sight when it comes to chocolate. I'm sure that you would be happy to know that most of the chocolate you eat, order, buy, and give away to dressed up cowboys and ninja turtles or, you know, spoiler alert, leave around your house for your kids to find on Easter, or give to your loved one on Valentine's, and even order from Starbucks in your mochas is most definitely not the product of child slavery and forced labor. In West Africa, children are not forced to pick the cocoa bean, and they haven't been for generations, all while being ignored by the chocolate giants Nestle, Hershey's, and Mars. Rest assured that this week on Let's Talk About Chef, We are definitely not talking about the horror that is chocolate-covered child labor. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me and you'll be in a world of peace. 
your imagination Take a look and you'll see into your imagination We'll begin with a spin Traveling in the world of my creation What we'll see will defy explanation If you want to view paradise Simply look around and view it Anything you want to do it Want to change the world There's nothing to it To understand how chocolate became an industry with such a horrible dark side, we should probably try to understand how it came to be in the first place. Chocolate is called the best known food that nobody knows anything about. How we think of it today in a candy bar form is pretty much the polar opposite of how it was consumed for 90% of its history. It was actually drank and without sugar added to it. History can trace the word chocolate to the Aztec word exoctal which referred to the bitter drink brewed from cocoa beans. The Latin word for the cocoa tree is Theobroma cocoa, or food of the gods. Like most things when it comes to history, there are always different arguments about when something started, and chocolate has been traced back to having been eaten 2,000 years ago. But some historians can trace the cocoa bean as far back as 4,000 years, and it was written about in cultures in Mesoamerica. Just last November, anthropologists from the University of Pennsylvania announced the discovery of cocoa residue that was found in pottery that dated back to 1400 BCE. That cocoa was fermented in the pots and turned into alcohol. Nobody really knows when the idea of adding sugar to cocoa beans and making chocolate was born. There are legends, and we'll get to that. But the cocoa bean was so highly valued in ancient Latin America that it was used as money. One bean could buy you a tamale and 100 beans could buy you a chicken or a turkey. Those prices in trade were found on a scrap of parchment that was hidden in a pot from the 16th century Aztecs. The Aztecs and the Mayans believed that the cocoa bean had magical or divine powers, and they used the bean in rituals such as birth ceremonies, marriages, and even sacrifices. The Aztecs would give sacrifice victims on the steps leading up to their deaths a gourd filled with chocolate and mixed with a swirl of the blood of someone who was killed before them to cheer them up, while they were waiting to have their still-beating heart pulled out of their chest while they were still alive before they would be decapitated, and then their head would be rolled down several thousand stone steps. Sweetened chocolate finally showed up in Latin America when Europeans started to explore the area and trade with the natives. Chocolate was given to the Spanish explorer Hernando Cortez during a banquet thrown for him by the Aztec king Montezuma, who mistaken the invader and who would actually be his culture's downfall for a reincarnated god. The chocolate drink that the Aztecs offered the Spanish was described by one sailor in his writings as a bitter drink that wasn't fit for pigs, and so the sailors started to add cane sugar to the drink to sweeten it, 
inventing what we know as hot chocolate or a very early form of it. When they finally got back to Spain with their chocolate drink in tow, it quickly became a fashionable drink all across Europe. It was thought to have nutritious and medicinal properties and was also thought to be an aphrodisiac. The famous Italian sex addict slash lover Casanova used to drink it every day. By the 1820s, a Dutch chemist had found a way to make a powdered chocolate by removing half of the natural fat and pulverizing and adding salt to what was left over. His product became known as Dutch Keiko, and soon after, solid chocolate was invented. And because it was cheaper to use the Dutch powdered cocoa chocolate, chocolate was finally not just something the rich and powerful enjoyed, it became a treat for everyone. The first modern chocolate bar was invented by Joseph Fry, who in 1847 made a moldable chocolate paste made from melted cocoa butter and adding it to powdered cocoa. Soon after that, in 1868, Cadbury was selling chocolate drops in small boxes in England, and not too long after that, milk chocolate was invented by Nestle. The Mars Company soon followed making milk chocolate, and the former one becoming the biggest selling candy in the world. The rest of chocolate's rise to global domination should have been just that, a rise of a product that is eaten and beloved by pretty much everybody. But Nestle's, Mars, and Hershey's have a secret. And that secret is how they get their chocolate. That secret is that over two decades ago, the three biggest chocolate companies promised to stop buying cocoa harvested by children. Yet all of those chocolate bars, all of those Kit Kats, Coffee Crisps, Cream Eggs, and Hershey's Kisses, actually start with child labor. This week's episode is being brought to you by Saks Underwear. Saks make, honestly, the best underwear in the world. And if you were like me a few months ago and didn't really care or pay attention to where your underwear came from, then honestly, listen. Go to SaksUnderwear.com and try them out. They are the best, most comfortable and breathable underwear I have ever worn. They have changed my life in the kitchen. And honestly, you can do no better. Go to SaksUnderwear.com to see what you have been missing. Trust me. It will make a difference.
On the Ivory Coast of Africa, hundreds of thousands of small farms are carved out of the landscape. These farms grow cocoa for the world. On one of these farms, five boys are swinging machetes against the brush trying to harvest the cocoa bean. They don't talk, they don't make a sound, they just work. They are watched by a larger man, the boss, holding his own machete. He stands and watches and yells if the work is too slow, if the work isn't good enough. These five boys weren't born here, in the jungle on the coast. They were brought to this farm on buses from the impoverished neighbor state of the Ivory Coast, Burkina Faso. These boys were brought here to work. They were brought here to these hundreds of thousands of small farms under the guise that they were going to be given an education, that they would be all right, that they would be able to return to their parents that they had to leave behind, but it's all a lie. These boys are essentially slaves, slaves that pick cocoa beans. And those cocoa beans are then bought by Nestle, Mars, and Hershey to make children in another part of the world chocolate. About half of the children are born into the labor. Farmers don't make enough money selling the cocoa beans to big chocolate companies, and so they have children to work their fields. The other half are brought in. There are reports that the farmers send some of the field bosses into Burkina Faso and offer these kids things like bikes and money and the chance to eat food every day. They offer the parents of the children a better life for their children, and then they take them across the border and into these cocoa camps. The camps themselves are usually terrible. Shacks are in the woods where the children sleep. They drink water from buckets they get from the river. They eat what is given to them, but mostly they have to fend for themselves. If one child gets sick, and then what little pay they have, which can be as little as 18 cents a day, is then pooled together with all the kids so that they can buy medicine for their sick friend. There isn't ever an opportunity to get out of this life because if a 10-year-old child works in the fields for 10 years, by the time they are old enough to want to leave, they don't have an education or any way of doing anything else. These children are working in the jungle, swinging machetes, picking pods, spraying highly toxic pesticides from back sprayers, and then picking the prized beans. About two-thirds of the world's cocoa bean supply comes from West Africa, where according to a 2015 U.S. Labor Department report, more than two million children work and the reason is money. Once all of the harvest cocoa beans are picked, they are then picked up and brought to a central location where the big chocolate companies buy the lot of them. The companies don't check to see what farms use child labor and which ones don't because it's easier to just not check. I know that sounds biased and I know that sounds made up, but it's not. Back in 2001, governments around the world rallied to put an end to child slavery in West African chocolate fields and they gave the biggest culprits of abusing the system, those being Nestle, Mars, and Hershey's, until 2005 to put an end to buying chocolate that they could not trace back the origin of. 2005 then came and went. Then so did 2006, then 2007, then it was moved to 2010, then 2013. Every time these companies were told they had to stop buying chocolate from farms that had child slaves, they just did whatever they could to push the deadline further into the future. These companies have always done just enough to keep this issue out of the media spotlight. They have done everything they could to make sure that we didn't know about it. It's a cover-up. But don't worry, it's not all doom and gloom. 
those companies have made terrific strides to figure out how to not buy child slavery chocolate, promising that they have changed their ways, found new morals, and decided to do the right thing. Just eventually. Mars, who makes such beloved treats as M&M's, Snickers, Twix, and Skittles, has created a foundation called Mars Cocoa for Generations, which plans to ensure that 100% of the company's chocolate is traceable and responsibly sourced by 2025. Hershey's, who makes not just the favorite Kisses, but also Reese's and Mr. Goodbar, has created the Hershey's Cocoa for Good program that will invest half a billion dollars to help eliminate child labor in West Africa by 2030. Nestle has created the Child Labor Monitoring and Redemption System, which helps to eradicate slavery chocolate. Right now, the company can only account for 49% of where its chocolate comes from. Mondelez, who makes Cadbury and Toblerone, when questioned about what percentage of their cocoa could be traced to fair trade chocolate farms, responded that that's not applicable to what we're doing. Godiva has a foundation called Forever Chocolate, which aims to eradicate all child slavery in its West African farms, again by 2025. See, here's the deal. These companies, which combined make $103 billion a year, over the last 18 years have spent a combined $150 million to address the issue. Let me say that again in different terms. Those companies that I just listed off and all of their amazing efforts to eradicate child labor in their fields have spent $150 million on their foundations and charities for the last 20 years, when during that time, they made a combined $1,854,000,000,000. That is fucked. Hershey's Kisses. They leave you on a high note. Hershey's Kisses. Every day deserves a kiss. The concept that chocolate, something that we think about of as a treat for kids, something that defines childhoods, it's something that we look forward to as children, is in fact picked by children who are forced to do it is a weird reality to swallow. I didn't know anything about this until last week, and it's one of those things that you wish you didn't ever hear about. Nestle, Mars, Hershey's, Godiva, and Mandela's have been doing everything they can to make sure that the rest of the world doesn't know about this. They have spent 20 years making promises to end what they are doing. Every deadline is missed, and then they just make more money. It has honestly been strange seeing chocolate bars at the grocery store since I found out about this and started working on this episode. And it's been strange thinking about enjoying chocolate as a kid so much. As a chef, I use chocolate all of the time. And again, once again, on this show, I'm simply going to say that I don't have the answers and I don't really know what to do except that we just need to be more careful. Check the label on what you're buying to make sure that the chocolate you're eating is fair trade certified. 
If you're ordering a ton of chocolate for your restaurant, please do your due diligence and check to see if what you are buying is farmed by children in Africa that are living in modern slavery. Because chances are it's coming from there. Making Let's Talk About Chef has been a wild ride. Doing this much research and trying to find out the truth behind what we eat and use in our restaurants has led me to discover a lot of things that I was blissfully unaware of beforehand. The only silver lining in this story is that there has been a resurgence in fair trade and ethical chocolate sourcing. There are a lot of small chocolate companies making truly amazing chocolate that they have put in the work to make sure it is safe and picked by workers being paid a wage and that they aren't children being forced to do it. Now, that chocolate is more expensive. And yes, those chocolate bars are more expensive. But wouldn't you rather squash the craving of your sweet tooth knowing that somewhere on the other side of the world a child isn't swinging a machete trying to pick your candy bar? I know that I would. And I also know that there's no possible way for any of them to ever hear this. But I am so sorry. This week's episode of Let's Talk About Chef was written by me, Brian Clark. I want to thank Vincero Watches and Saks for letting me talk about them again this week. If you want to write into the show, you can send everything to letstalkaboutchef at gmail.com or you can follow me and DM me on Instagram at Chef Brian Clark. I want to give this week's shout out to the companies Hershey, Nestle, and Mars. I hope you rot in hell. We are back next Thursday with another brand new episode. And until then, as always, I'm Brian Clark. Have a great service, and have a great week. When your love of life is an empty beach, don't cry. Don't cry.